Welcome to Jurassic Pod, a podcast 65 million years in the making and the fourth most popular Jurassic Park podcast on the internet. Mike, we're recording this remotely and we'll talk about why we're doing that uh, very shortly. But before, uh, we're going to start with a new segment. It's a brand new segment of the show and we're calling it Camp Cretaceous Check-In. Camp Cretaceous Check-In. It's the three C's. What's the update on the Camp Cretaceous watching? Yes. So uh, there a lot has happened um, in the Camp Cretaceous world since we last recorded. Season four came out. Yes. And it uh, was a big, uh, big talking point amongst the Jurassic Park community. I can say it's time for me now to provide my input in season four. And I will say, oh, wow. Uh, I have uh, no idea what everybody's talking about because I have not watched it yet. And uh, I am still stuck on, I have watched uh, season one, episode one, and uh, I'm... Usually moving along, right? I'm moving. I'm moving. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, I think in the next update, we can certainly look to uh, hear more about what's going on in Camp Cretaceous. But I just want to point out, Keegan, I'm listening to you, and I will I, I will watch this. I haven't promised a pace that I will watch them. That's now, true. That's I'm, true. We'll watch. Well, I, f- I have a feeling that uh, the Camp Cretaceous check-in is going to be more of a season two feature than a season one, since we're wrapping up season one here. And to be fair, you just bought a brand new Xbox. Uh, what are they? What are they called now? Xbox uh, XYZs. What's the new edition? Yeah, but now I feel like the pressure is going to come from from our fans for me to play Jurassic World Evolution. Um, <laughs> you get a lot of homework. I will just I will just say right now I'm not playing Jurassic World Evolution. <laughs> if you've never heard of Jurassic World Evolution, um, basically, from my understanding, it is like an extremely extremely comp- complicated zoo tycoon. That that that's from what I understand, like very intricate uh, roller coaster tycoon. So uh, that we'll get to that maybe in season two. Okay, we got to introduce our guest. Uh, welcome, uh, Jonathan Clark Ferris. He's a warrior scholar. That's a loyal early adopter of Crichton, Frank Herbert, just to name a few. Also Taylor Swift. Uh, Jay, sure. welcome, well, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being on. Hey, it's such a big honor. Huge fan already, of course. Uh, look forward to our discussions. Jay has been referenced many times throughout the the podcast when we've done our rewatches, specifically in the Lost World rewatch podcast. Uh, one line that stands out for both of us in our childhood is, don't go into the long grass. So, uh, Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I've been on, uh, I've been in many places on many continents and have used that in all those places. There's always long grass. Now, has anybody actually gotten the reference, uh, in the many places you've gone to where there is long grass? Uh, Yeah, I think we were doing some training in like in the middle of Virginia and we were doing like, uh, essentially like a simulated battle and you're running around with like high speed cap guns in your shooting and we're like we're maneuver i was maneuvering my squad and i think i like said over the radio don't go in the long grass and maybe like one person got it the one of course like yeah 
Yeah, and I it's just, like, I, at, at, it, yeah, it was it was out of control. I'm excited for uh, Jay to be our guest today because this now uh, brings us to uh, you know our podcast. We do support our troops, and uh, we have now uh, had representatives of uh, half of the uh, armed branches of the armed forces on our podcast. We had JD, who uh, the Air Force representation. Space now. Force. No, JD's Space Force. Space okay. Force. Okay. So, so, well, yeah, Air Force, Space, Space Force. Force is embedded into the Air he, Force. He was in the Air Force, though. So he so. did both. And now we have the Navy, uh, which are is very heavily featured in Jurassic Park 3, as you know, when the U.S. Navy comes to rescue our heroes oh. at the end oh, of I know. Jurassic Park 3. Well, isn't um, in Jurassic World, isn't uh, Chris Pratt's character like other than the Navy? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. What he was what he was or what he should be is a dolphin trainer so the u.s navy actually has dolphins and like that's what i thought i'm like no he was a dolphin trainer it is funny like i think that is a mandela effect for me watching that movie because i don't think they explicitly say that like they don't they say he's navy but they don't actually connect that the dots there like but in my head they should have like i assume that's what he did because they call him an animal behavior expert so he yeah, that so, must be what he did in the navy. Yeah, well, there's only there's, there's only uh, there's two ones. My favorite is a dolphin trainer because that's a real thing. We actually the U.S. Navy actually has dolphins, uh, or he's a dog trainer. Do but they like have dolphin dolphins with friggin' lasers on the back of them? <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of. They actually have dolphins in which on their noses you put explosives. What? <laughs> I'm not even joking. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, one of the, I can't remember the, they actually have like now retired that program. Um, you can find this all on Google. So, yeah, I'm not, so you're, you're not violating any laws. I'm not violating. No, they still have them. You can like go to San Diego and see, see the dolphin cages. Um, but they, the dolphins used to be able to, like, they would have a CO2 charged needle and it was an anti diver. So like if enemy divers come along, you send your dolphins out and they like, they essentially use this uh, CO2 cartridge needle and it puncture it into an anti-diver and it like will bring them to the surface and kill them or wow. something like that. Some of them along those lines. So very accurate using Raptors to, you yeah, know, so with, I think, with, I think he was, a, cams. yeah, I think he was a dolphin trainer. That's what I'm all about. Or we also have sea lions. So oh. either way that's my vote that might have you know because he has a little pen clicker thing maybe that's you know maybe that makes yeah okay it makes sense well thanks for bringing the expertise already bringing the expertise in the house uh the reason we are recording remotely uh ironically jay is my my brother if you didn't figure that out we both uh test positive for covid at basically the same time so we are safely recording this uh remotely um, and Mike is safe and healthy as well, which is great because you are the last person I saw. So I've been, I'm, I'm glad you are you are safe and healthy. Um, I do have to shout out Mike and his wife Shannon, who the listeners know very well. They dropped off a care package uh, with chips and salsa, my favorite snack, which I the only thing I can actually taste right now, and a copy of Top Gun Blu-ray. So thank you guys. I, I appreciate I appreciate that. That's a true friend. That's a true. Yeah, friend. it was taking a risk that one, you had a Blu-ray player and two, you didn't have a copy of Top Gun, but I, I, I have a Blu-ray player, but I did not have a copy of Top Gun. So perfect. Perfect. 
perfection. That seems, that seems like a, that seems like a crime that you don't have a copy of Top Gun. Well, Thanks, Mike, now. for saving it. Yeah, he's, yeah, you got saved. Well, I have you know I have the VHS copy. Like like all good good people. <laughs> oh, that counts. That counts. Well, gentlemen, uh, before we get into it again, uh, get vaccinated, uh, get jabbed like Ian Malcolm, do all those things to be safe. Um, <laughs> Jay- I don't think Ian gets vaccinated. I think he's well, he get, up. You know, he gets shot up with morphine multiple times, <laughs> uh, which we'll talk about in the books. He's high most of the time, which is also very fascinating. Ninety percent. Ninety percent. Jay, can you read our little business blurb since you are our special guest for us? Whenever yeah, you're I would be, I would away. be honored. I'm not a good reader, so apologies for any mess. Ups, Just whatever you need. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe, rate, and review this show so more Jurassic heads can discover us. Jurassic Pod is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Am I reading the next line? Yeah, next one. You can get involved with the discussion by visiting www.jurassicpod.com and click the share your voice button located over the sexy laying down of Ian Malcolm. No dinosaurs were harmed in the making of this podcast. Well done. Well done, sir. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Gentlemen, here's the plan. Obviously, we could not really accurately talk about these two incredible novels Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park and the Lost World in one episode. I mean, realistically, to do them justice, we couldn't do that. So we're going to kind of break down what are the main differences between the novels and, and the movies, and then talk about some overarching conversation about how the books influence the movies and their legacy and connection with the fans as a whole. So we're going to start out with the, with the original Jurassic Park, written by Michael Crichton, released in 1990. Now, if you remember, the film was released in 93, so just a couple of years after that. Crichton already was a big star in in the kind of the sci-fi action-adventure novel world. He had, I think, written about six or seven novels at that point, done some screenwriting. So he was a big, big name, but Jurassic Park really was the defining novel that has, has set his, his career off. Crichton, as many people know, worked really closely with Steven Spielberg to create the script. And there was, there was definitely a, a strong co-creative relationship that has shown um, the, how the movies have become such quality products because you had two really masterful pe- people at the height of their careers, honestly, creating these films. But let's break down the main differences between Jurassic Park, the novel, and Jurassic Park, the film. Are you guys ready? I'm just going to shout them out. If you have another comment that you want to make, please interrupt me. But here's some of the main differences. Number one, Jurassic Park, the novel starts out with the scene from the lost world where the uh, compies attack the the daughter and the family, family vacation on the beach. (laughs) Ed Regis, the, uh, the park's PR director is a character that is in the novel, not, not the movie. Tim and Lex roles are reversed. So their ages are reversed and kind of what they do as characters are reversed. Ian basically dies in the novel and not necessarily the film uh, is very ambiguous. Uh, reading it, you assume that Ian Malcolm dies. He almost passes into another realm at, at, at some point because he is going insane. Dr. Wu is killed by raptors. Muldoon and Gennaro survive in the books. Uh, Grant and the kids go down the river on a raft. The aviary scene is in the book as well. Uh, the river sequence, you know, 
in itself is a huge, huge part of the book that is not in the movie. Young raptors get on board the island supp- supply ship when it departs the mainland. That's a huge part of the book that's not in the movie. Uh, injecting poisons into unhatched uh, raptor eggs. So one of the part of the, one of the final scenes of the book, if you haven't read it, is the there's this poison that is comes to a big part in the action sequence in the, the final raptor battle. So instead of the raptors attacking the kids and our heroes in the kitchen, they're more in the like laboratory space. Costa Rican Air Force, talking about military, they come in and bomb and destroy uh, Isla Nubar. That's a huge difference. Uh, this one is big. I think, Jay, this is one of your big ones. Uh, they do not ride Jeeps, but uh, electric Land Rovers. No guns in the book besides a, uh, the rocket launcher, which is kind of... ironic uh yeah they're they're law rocket launchers very interesting what what does law stand for it means lightweight anti uh armor so basically you you can put on your shoulder is those are the ones yeah like a like if someone says bazooka the the thing not that you put on your shoulder so it's it's uh human like the bubble gum yeah yeah the bubble gum exactly Yeah. yeah And then finally, Ian, obviously, like we said, he is totally screwed up. He's totally high. Uh, pretty much half of the, more than half the book uh, on morphine as he slowly descends into a chaotic state. And then Tim uses his computer skills a lot uh, in the book to help save everybody. So those are kind of the, some of the main differences. I, there's a lot more there, but those are kind of the main ones. If you've never read the book, uh, and you know, are big fans of the movie. Those are kind of the big differences that stand out. Gentlemen, out of those differences, what are some of the big things that really capture your attention from the books that either for, for better or for worse that you think are worth talking about? So real quick, before we get into uh, talking more about the books, I'm curious to hear from everyone. When, when did you first read the first book? I read them in succession about three years ago and i will i will preface it this i listened to them which is kind of like it's real it, it counts. That counts it's that like counts. it's like half but i listened to both the books twice so i think it counts as one full read for both of them. yes yes mike when when did you first read these books well, the first time i read this book was a senior in high school for my english class so you I, actually was this actually signed for english or did you choose it no i had a our like final project, our teacher just wanted us to do a book report because we had already, it was an AP class. We had already taken the exam. So he just wanted us to do a book report, but he wanted us to do a book report on a book that we would actually read. So mm. he actually, wait, I thought, it, wait, was that the preface? Yeah. What a good, said, what a real teacher. What an honest he teacher. Said, he's, <laughs> he said, he was such an awesome teacher. It's, uh, he basically said, I want, can we give him yeah, a shout out? Is that all right? What, what's your, what was his yeah, name? Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Mont, uh, Mr. Montag, Andy Montag. Um, Shout out, he, Mr. Montag. Uh, he's a uh, he just retired actually. His, uh, last year was his last year uh, as a teacher. Great English teacher, one of my favorites. And he, yeah, his he encouraged all of his students to read um, a book that they would actually enjoy reading and then do a book report on. But he had some uh, limitations. Uh, there were um, certain books that he didn't want to be uh to to that he didn't allow people to do like harry potter yeah um chronicles of narnia um 
most children's books, you know, it had to be, you know, a legitimate, a legitimate book that a senior in high school would yeah. read. And anything written by Michael Crichton was on the list as well. I, I honestly think this book, and that's Very one much. of my big takeaways, is this book should, like, why, I think I wrote down in my notebook, why aren't books and novels like Jurassic Park required reading in high school? I, I just, it seems like a novel that there's so much there to talk about, but yeah. it's also entertaining for a high schooler to read. And that is quick and fast paced writing that would be really engaging for a high school English class. Yeah. I don't know what they should, they should read it in math class. Ooh, you're right. That's a bad idea, yeah. Math or biology. Yeah. They, they could read it in biology yeah. class. Sorry, yeah. Mike, I interrupted you. So, so that was the first time I went you read to, the book. No, no, that's fine. I, I went to, I went to Mr. Montag and I, I did not read the syllabus for the assignment. And I just said, <laughs> I want to read Jurassic Park. And he said, did you read this? Did you read the <laughs> exclusions? And I said, no, uh, he's like, that's written by Michael Crichton. And I was like, oh, dang. But he was so nice. He, uh, he said, I could tell you're really excited about this. So I'll let you read. I'll let you do it on that. Wow. And his reasoning for putting Crichton and all those other books I mentioned on there was not because he didn't like those books or didn't think that um, a senior in high school should read, you know, Harry Potter for a book report, but that he had, he had been teaching this class for so long and heard so many book reports on those books that he just didn't want to hear them anymore. Oh, so that's, that's legitimate. So he, um, but, but I credit Mr. Montag with inviting me into the first enjoyable reading experience of my entire life. And it wow. came when I was a senior in high school and it was because he let me read uh, Jurassic Park um, for my final book report. Beautiful. That is a beautiful story. I just read these both books this past year. So this is my first time really reading these books and reading anything by Crichton. And I I remember the when I read Jurassic Park, it was earlier this spring. I was uh, on a family vacation and I was in a similar state to Ian Malcolm. I uh, just had a neurovirus where I was throwing up um, for three days straight. Um, and when I was, but I was, when I was com- came to, I was reading this book. So I felt like a, in a very hypnotic state as Ian Malcolm, but I, I absolutely, it be, has become one of my favorite books immediately. Uh, absolutely yeah. immediately. Thanks Mike for asking that question. All right, let's go back to our list. Anything stand out from the main differences between the novel and the book or in the movie? I do have to add a couple th- more things. Uh, there's no romantic relationship between Sattler and uh, Dr. Grant, by good, the way. Good point. Good point. Um, yep. And then in the in the movie, there's a I think there's a lot more expendable crewmen, like extras, <laughs> right? In the book, there's there's not there's not as many like people on the island. Yeah, it's it's more stripped down, especially at the beginning where there's. Let's just say there's no uh, there's no pink uh, polo uh, khaki wearing people just like driving around in jeeps. No, no, no. There's there's like uh, two gas powered jeeps, jeeps, and that's it. Like it's very limited. Also, uh, the dislike for the kids. Did you mention that, Luke? I did not mention that. I think that's a big one. So like in the in the movie, it seems like Grant doesn't like kids. He's got that like whole claw scene. Whereas in the book, it's drastically different. Like Grant uh, is a big, is much more like kind to children. And I think talks about how like his love for dinosaurs is the same love as kids have. Yeah, I kind of, so, it's written more, he sees the wonder of the kids uh, in, and why they're passionate about, about dinosaurs. That's a great point. Yep. 
So, so what, what stands out to you guys? What, what are some of the things that maybe surprised you when you first, cause I th- it sounds like we all watched the film before we read the book. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So what, what are some of the big things that stood out to you guys when you, when you read the book that you're like, Oh wow, this is very different. I, I think probably the biggest, obviously it's the details. It's a book. It's the content is so much more, but you, it kind of takes you for a trip as, as far as the science and the math goes, you're like, what's chaos. Like they get, it's pretty high level chaos theory. Like it's not that in depth, but it's like, you're like, Oh my gosh. I Whoa. Yeah. You're like, they're actually going to the mathematics of it. Like it's, I think it's just so deep in the science. You're like, Oh, you're like this Michael Crichton guy is not, like he, he has to know this stuff. Cause like it, it's out there. I think it's the depth and detail of the math and the science is really interesting. Which, yeah. it, which Crichton uh, did go to Harvard. Uh, he, his other path was like, was going to be, I think it was going to be medicine. Like he, he had, he was on yeah, a he, track he has, he, to, he be a profe- to be a professional doctor. So uh, he definitely yeah. comes with the territory. Go ahead, Mike. No, I actually, you guys both stole my thunder. Um, but I guess I'll add this other facet to it. I think that his background in medicine and him not actually being a writer by education, but more just by, I mean, of course he's a professional writer and a very successful one at that, but um, his education was in medicine. And I think that his uh, interest in writing and explaining things, but his uh, education in medicine actually makes the in-depth math and biology and genetics so easy to understand for, for somebody. And I I just think it's super approachable. And I think that I've never seen um, anybody well as, as he has done it in his book. I agree, especially for someone who's not versed well in the sciences or the mathematics uh, and who studied writing in school. Uh, it, it was, it's, I was surprised a lot of times when I'm reading technical writing or if there's technical parts of a story, my brain just automatically just skips over and say, it's not, it does not matter to the plot. This is just the writer trying to look fancy, but it's so different here where the details actually make sense and help support the entire story. And the, even like the thriller aspect of the, of the story. Well, it's weird too. Cause he- he makes like uh, some very interesting, like it's almost, there's almost like a thesis paper in like, like within in it. the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has like some really big, I mean, one of my favorite parts of the book is his claim about like destroying the world. Yeah. Um, what's, what's the quote? Um, Let's be clear. The, the planet is not in jeopardy. We are in jeopardy. Like this whole idea that we think we're saving the earth by like, not polluting and stuff, but like, uh, the planets can be fine. We're the ones that like the planets life is going to go on, you know, another billion years, all the pollution is going to be gone, but we're the ones that are going to be dead by our own hands. Anyway, it gave me stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, I agree, Jay reading that book. It gave me a lot of comfort, especially reading this book for the first time in the midst of, I know this is an evergreen podcast, but in the midst of, you know, a lot of turmoil that's due to a, uh, micros- microscopic things and in what the state of the world is right now, it was actually calming to think about that as, you know, the earth is going to be okay. Like nature's going to figure it out. Like 
it's used to this. It's used to adapting and changing. It's always changing and shifting. And it's so it's way more powerful than we can even know and understand. Yeah, we're the ones who are are in trouble. And yeah, and I love that. He, he, he highlights like uh, Ian Malcolm saying this. He's like, how arrogant are you to think that you're going to save the earth? Yeah. So arrogant. It's very, com- I don't know. It's very comforting to me. Yeah. It's very, cause I yeah. get scared very easily. I remember taking an intro to like natural science class and it, I was depressed every time walking away from that, that class. But this gave me a much bigger perspective of, well, it's still dark, but it's like, humans are the ones that are going to do like, we're, we're not going to make it like the earth and nature itself will make it. It will always make it uh, because it's constantly adapting and, and going back and forth. But I think that's a great point. Uh, those kind of big, idea, it, it, big ideas, big yeah, ideas like of, of action, some great action sequences. Mike, what, what stands to you? You have your, your beautiful copy of the book open. I think, yeah, I just, the, the main thing I always come back to when I think of the book is just how, um, how easy it was to grasp the very complex uh, technical details in here. And um, I think the counterpoint to somebody could say is, well, Mike, you're an engineer and have a master's in engineering. Not Mike, when I was a Mike, senior in high school. You're an engineer, Mike. Yeah, but when I was a senior in high school, I was not a studious kid and I was not really on track to become an engineer. That, that passion came later. But I remember I actually read... Um, a portion of another book that he wrote. It was the last book that was published before his death. It was called Next. And I don't remember a ton about it, but I found that even in 2006, when this book was published, he was still doing the same thing where he was explaining incredibly difficult um, technical details uh, to an audience who has no, no foundational understanding of it, but is getting away with it. And sure, 30,000 feet, you know, you can explain you can explain that, but I was just very impressed by that. It makes you want to like go look up what chaos theory is. Yeah, and actually, yeah. you know, it's like it. you're like, oh, this is I got to figure out what. Well, Ian Malcolm's all about. in his first one of his first Crichton's first big big uh, money making books was the Andromeda Strain. Jay, have you have you read that? I don't think I've I've read that. Yeah. I've read Prey. I've read uh, Dragon's Teeth, which Dragon's Teeth is another dinosaur story, which is very interesting. But no, I maybe I have. I Andromeda Strain is is probably not one that anybody wants to reread now because it's about a deadly. It's about a virus, uh, right? Yeah. It's, it's a it's a space microorganism that you know does that. But maybe not the best kind of book to read right now. But again, kind of well, the idea it. that Let's he's see. using science to. To, to explain and, and build a build a whole story around it that can be high level in its math and what it's trying to do, but also be very exciting. And you have these these grounded characters. I felt pretty cool because rereading this, it was obviously written in the '90s and the '90s HTML and coding. I know a little bit about it, and I felt pretty cool because I was like, I actually know what he's they're 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 typing out. Yeah, that, that, that was a proud moment for me. Like I can understand early 90s coding computer programming that's the extent of my knowledge all right we got to talk about some of the characters uh most notably characters that are different between the book and the film we have to start with john hammond in the book he is much more evil he is much more self-obsessed less grandfathery and more kind of dark 
Nah, sorry. He's a terror. He's a terrible person in the books. Be- more Bezos. I would have to say more Bezos. He, he, he has no redeeming qualities in the book. Would, do you guys like that, or or is it, or do you think it's it's better the way that it was filmed or portrayed in the film? I like that they're different. I don't know if I like either or better, but I'm glad that they're different. And I, I did a little research in it. Apparently, it's because um, Spielberg really liked how obsessed John Hammond was because that's how he is with movies. And so he wanted to kind of rewrite it to make it less crazy. But he he liked the obsessive nature of John Hammond. I like that they're different. I think it's a cool... It's just fun. It's fun to have two I, I do too. And I, and I actually, in my head, I didn't see Richard Attenborough playing John Hammond in the novel in my head it did, he did not look like that the actor yeah. uh, he looked like more probably like jeff bezos in, in my head uh which <laughs> honestly the, the the kill the kill the at the end is very brutal it's one of the more brutal kills and the book does have some brutal kills described in him um, but the way he that he trips and falls walking down the hill and the copy slowly the that's, tear him down. Yeah, that's the best kill. That so is good. it is really good. I think it's funny, Jay. The point you bring up, if uh, if that's true, that research you found, um, <clears throat> when you re- when you watch the film, you don't get this impression that um, Hammond is obsessed. You get that he's like inspired. And yeah, maybe it's like spirited. Yeah. yeah, but but I don't even see it as passion because sure he's passionate, but he's just like so whimsical about it. Like he's, oh, that's he's a good so, word. Yeah. um, it, and it's almost like uh, if that's true that um, Spielberg is trying to like, you know, try to justify his his passion or obsessiveness with the films over and say oh i'm not that i'm i'm more i'm more like this guy you know i'm yeah well yeah, he, and he, he almost makes him more of a walt disney character because yeah. walt disney had some oh, yeah. some dark sides to him but he, it came from this magical kind of like inspirational place where yeah. I, whimsical is the, that's the right word that is Mike, that is whimsical that is, that is the right word i have to bring up uh even characters, but the there's so many good scenes in, in this book, but the aviary and river scenes as far as action sequences are so good. Now we do see the Avery taken from the first book and added to Jurassic Park three. Um, but even the river sequence, which we really haven't seen, we saw a little bit of it in Jurassic Park three, but the river sequence is pretty cool because the, the T-Rex is kind of stalking it and, and swimming. That's- yeah, when the T-Rex get in the water, that's the coolest part. That's the one thing I don't think they've they've done very like that. I, I want to see that scene. Um, I wish I I wish we could have had that scene, or we'll see it eventually in in the franchise. But what other things stand out to you guys from from the first book? I know I know we're going fast, but want to make sure we get get the first uh, book do justice. So this is a really detailed, but one that I really like. You know that at the dig site and Alan, Alan Grant is using that like a weird computer machine where it shoots uh, like a shotgun shell and yeah. bounces off, which is like a real thing that is both in the book and in the movie. Like, I don't know. I think that's really cool. And it's almost like scene for scene exactly 
it plays out. And I'm like, I just think that's a really cool scene that they decided to keep in from the books into the movie. Yeah. There was a lot of that where there's very, like you, it's very similarly, even like the way it's quote unquote blocked in the book is translated in the movie. And again, that goes to, to show Crichton was on the sets. He was very heavily involved in the production of the film and I think you have to, obviously there's been a lot of book to movie adaptations, but when I think about the list in my head and we just had one come out this year, that was fantastic in Dune, but this has got to be one of the best book to film adaptations out there. Is that, is that too bold to say like pound for pound? Well, I think, I think it's very difficult <clears throat> because most people who have, um, a, a strong affinity for a book don't want the adaptation to just be a film that respects the book. They want, they want the film to be the book and that's why they're always disappointed. I .e. Harry Potter. Um, but I actually think that, uh, that yeah, I agree with you, Luke, because I think that the film uh, takes the main themes of and finds its own way to the mm -hmm. game story and I think that that's really what I want from, um, from, from a film to a book, um, or I'm sorry, from a book to a film and not some just regurgitate the, the scenes as I see them in the book. Agreed. Yeah. You want that interpretation of the director. I mean, the cool thing about it is like, uh, if you're uh, real snobbery about the books, like Michael Crichton helped write the screenplay. So you can't like he signed off on it. Yeah, he signed off. So you can't not like it. Can't be too I think angry what, about it. I think what also helps me, and it it may be because it's I think it's hard to do this for Jurassic Park because the books and the films came out um, right on top of each other. Yeah. Um, for the most part. But I think the reason why we see so many issues with people having uh, adapt, you know, issues with adaptations is because they read the book and the books are so often better than the movies. It's just, just generally a rule, um, that, that they don't like the movie because it's not the book. Um, but I think what helps me enjoy the book more is I've already seen the movie. And so I yeah. can't get mad at the movie if I've oh, already yeah. decided Going I like the, other the movie. Way. And mm -hmm. that's actually how I've chosen. You brought up Dune, Luke. I've chosen not to read Dune until I see the movie because I don't want um, my impression. I don't want my interpretation of the movie to be affected by uh, the book. I actually did that with the Harry Potter books and movies, and I highly suggest it because basically what you're doing is you're getting entered into a world, and this works great with fantasy. You're getting entered into a, to a world. And movies are great, especially if the movies are well made. And with the books, you're like getting more, like you're getting more of what you want and it's getting fleshed out more. So I agree, Mike. I think it's a great way to sometimes engage with, with movies and books and the adaptations. This one's interesting because obviously it was a very, very famous book, but it's unique because the relationship of the author and the director and how they were so closely tied together is, is very unique in in the film and book adaptation space rarely do you get a relationship like this uh, and it's funny because spielberg has experience with this with his most important film in his career to launch his career with jaws, jaws. with peter benchley yeah. same idea the book came out two years three years before the the movie uh peter benchley was very very uh 
impactful and part of that process. So the same thing happened with Jaws. Spielberg did this with Crichton as a collaborator. All right, gentlemen, got to move on to the lost world. I'm so sorry, but we're, we have to keep this going. The sequel, the sequel uh, to the original Jurassic Park book is called The Lost World, again, written by Michael Crichton, released in 1995. So here's the timeline if you're keeping track at home. 1990, Jurassic Park, the novel comes out. 93, the movie comes out. 95, The Lost World comes out, the book. 97, the film comes out. I want to read this quote from uh, Michael Crichton because I think it helps set up The Lost World. This is Michael Crichton saying, The Lost World was really something that came from the readers. From the first publication of the book, kids began to read it and they would send letters. What about the sequel? Then you start thinking, well, why not? Well, what would be good? Eventually, there seemed to be a likelihood that there would be another film. And Steven seemed to have some interest in that. It's a very difficult structural problem because it has been the same. It has to be the same but different. If it's really the same, then it's the same. And if it's really different, then it's not a sequel. So it's some funny intermediate territory. I think it's a really good quote from Crichton to talk about this second book. I'm going to fire away the main differences, and there's a lot of them. So I'm only covering high level. Um, we have to talk about Richard Levine, uh, who is a character in the in the novel that is not in the movie. Um, he is kind of plays the person they're going to rescue. He is a colleague of Malcolm's. He's very um, quirky and whimsical, um, but also very excited about the discovery. Um, again, that rescuing, instead of rescuing Sarah, Dr. Harding, we're, 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 they're rescuing Richard Levine. Um, the, the research team is a little different. Um, we have Jack Doc Thorne, Eddie Carr, um, Arby is a, an additional new kid, and then Kelly, who is not actually Malcolm's daughter in the novel. Uh, the antagonist team is totally different. We have Dodson, Howard King, and George uh, Balston. Uh, Dr. Sarah Harding um, gets the island differently. She comes late, and her characters hold differently in general, which we'll talk about. Um, Sarah tells Eddie to kill the baby T-Rex, so uh, she's a doctor and makes the right decision. Uh, uh, Sarah climbs the trailers with uh, Malcolm on her back. Um, so in that famous scene in the film where it's hang the trailers are hanging off the side of the cliff, um, in the book, uh, Sarah really is the saving the day. Stealing the eggs, uh, which actually there, there's the whole point of the bad guy team is to steal the eggs, not to capture the dinosaurs. So a little bit more similar to JP3. Uh, Eddie in the book is a little bit different. Um, he feels more like Billy in JP3. He's more of a younger character. Uh, the Raptors kill Eddie in the high hide. Um, Malcolm is high again. Um <laughs> RB Malcolm doesn't change. Malcolm doesn't really change. Uh, RB gets trapped in the survival cage. There's a little survival cage sequence. That's totally different. Uh, uh, the Carnotaurus, who, which is basically, I'm going to say is the invisible cloak. Invisible dinosaur, dinosaur the coolest one, yeah. which is a very cool. Um, Dachin and Sarah have a pretty awesome finale. She lets him die, uh, which is, no, she kill She kills him. That's so debate. She doesn't save him. No, 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 no. <laughs> Definitely not in debate. Sarah, it, yeah. And then the whole kind of big part of this when we're on the new island, um, in the the whole conversation about extinction, because InGen uses a sheep extract to uh, to feed the dinosaurs, and it's in, infected with that with prions that cause this disease that basically shortens the dinosaurs' 
lifespans and infect their brains. So that's what's happening on the island. And that's kind of the conversation is all about extinction. Okay. All right. Say something because I need to take a sip of water because all the difference. Uh, okay. I, I, I will say the biggest, the biggest gripe I have with this, like I'm a big, big fan of both the movie and the book. Uh, almost no issues with all the adaptations. Uh, Sarah Harding, I think they do her absolute her character injustice because in the books, Sarah is absolutely the action hero. Everyone else is clueless except for Sarah. And uh, she's the one that like saves everyone. She is the one that knows everything. Uh, and like, yeah, she like climbs up a, a rope with Ian Malcolm, you know, slung over her back. You know, she's, she saves everyone. And in the, in the movie, she's like pulling up the baby dinosaur to the trailer thinking that mom and dad are coming after them. So she's anyway, a, she's that's a, my she's biggest rep. She's a damsel in distress in the, in, in the movie. And I think Mike, Mike drafted her in our draft uh, for this very specific reason uh, to kind of give her a new kind of a more accurate portrayal in the movies. But I think that that is definitely the big missing piece is, and to be honest, we have not really seen it in any of the franchises. No. Because we won't get into Claire because we need to stay focused. But Claire in the Jurassic World series uh, or for part of the franchise is is done dirty as well. Um, so we still haven't seen the Sarah Harding character. Yeah, we need the Laura Croft, you know, character in Jurassic Park. I don't know why they haven't done it. It just seems like a huge miss on the studio's end. She's she's that's my big rep. She is very very cool, Mike. What stands out to you about the Lost World as far as differences? Well, I, so, um, I know spoiler alert uh, that the that that Ian dies at the end of the first book, um, but because I then he's haven't read this, yeah, he because did, I he, haven't did, read he doesn't this. die. You think he dies? Well, okay. So this is what I'm asking. So p- please refresh my memory. How do we get Ian Malcolm back from the dead? Uh, I think Crichton meant to kill him off. Yeah. And it's like kind of vague at the end of the book, but you're like, if you, if this book would be standalone, you'd be like, ah, he's dead. But then they just like totally resurrect. Crichton just resurrects him. I, I don't. Basically. Cause like you, he doesn't have a funeral scene in the first book. Like there's not a scene where they're at the grave site, yeah. but it's pretty much implied that he like drifts off into death. That is kind of going back to that initial quote is there was definitely commercial fan pressure and then the film kind of aspect all kind of pressured the sequel because Crichton, this was his first and I think only official sequel. I um, mean, he doesn't even like to call it a sequel. Yeah. Uh, and it's very much he did. He's, he wasn't interested in creating trilogies or sequels. So it's a very unique book for him and his anthology because it's not something that he would typically do. So yes, he's resurrected essentially uh, from from the from the dead. Uh, another he has a posthumous sequel. Yeah, okay, yes, but you know, officially sanctioned by him. Another big difference is Kelly is not Malcolm's son. Um, Arby is another kid character who's really good with computers. Got to have a good kid like computer character to to help the adults. These kids. Yeah. This is the one part of the the book that I don't like, and I like the movie better. Is in my head while I was reading the book, the kids seem like they're maybe early middle school, but somehow they have these like internships with these scientists. It's a little confusing. Well, it's, I, I disagree. 
I, I, it's a I little think funky the to me. They're good. Like they're the they're really good, but it's 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 a little bit. They just are there, just to add danger to me. Whereas, like I'm in the no, basement no, of the but... house, and like <laughs> yeah, you this are. Is, we gotta we're gonna we gotta rumble. I, I think I'm surprised that uh, Spielberg, with his like a love of highlighting kids, doesn't use these characters. And I would want to know why. Now I don't have obviously I'm not Spielberg and he's pretty good at what he does, but I would, I'm curious to why, because in, I would say these kid characters out of any of them are actually, uh, they like help find where, where everyone's at. They're much more in almost every stage. They're the people that solve the problem. Yeah. Especially at the end where they're basically, the eyes and ears of everything like there are, I guess yeah, they're, but that they're doesn't that address, through. that doesn't address what Luke was saying, Jay. Luke was saying that, and I'm going to stir up an argument here. Yeah, Luke was saying yeah. He doesn't understand why these middle schoolers have these internships with. Well, these and that's incorrect. He doesn't have an internship. They're like helping it, out. Like they're like, but how do they like, no, they're, they're like, also, this is back in the nineties, which I think, like, kids. <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> The, totally these okay. kids, these kids are like, uh, they're like way too smart to even be in school and essentially are being, uh, like used as teacher's aides, but I, obviously it's a fictional book. I don't think we're dealing with reality, but like they go on all these errands to like what they think just to help out, but they're like, avoid, they're helping him avoid detection yes, from, from Biosyn. Biosyn. So yeah. I think it's cool. I think it's cool because it's it's like almost every kid's dream to like. I don't yeah, know, it, it be you know, sucked up into adventure. And you know what? Too this is then you're talking about Ferris basement conversations. I'm going to actually go back on Jay's side. I'm doing a reverse uh, of, <laughs> because I think Spielberg could have pulled that off very well. Yeah, he could have done it really, yeah. really well. I think the main difference, and I talked to Stephen about this earlier today, is that. Uh, Steven Spielberg <laughs> is that Jeff Goldblum as Ian Malcolm. He is your star of the film. He is your, he's your, he's your tent pole. He's the one that's bringing in, in yeah. to people's seats. You needed to give him strong emotional motivation to go back to the Island. Um, because in the, in the book, it's kind of there with his like buddy, but he also in the book, he's a lot more interested in the science. Still, he's still interested in the science. It's a, it's, it's half and half. In the in the movie, you need this a strong emotional connection for the viewers to be like, why is he going back? And you need this strong emotional connection of he has something to lose, which would be a daughter, um, which is a, and and I think seeing seeing a rock star character like Ian Malcolm, like we do in the first, he doesn't one, know his daughter's on the island. Well, w- when he's there, like it, it gives him oh. a reason okay. to and a motivation, and I also. Yeah develops the Ian Malcolm character more in the book. He's not as developed. Like he doesn't change a ton. He's, he has post-traumatic stress, but he, he's, it's not as big of a difference. And I think in the film you see that difference, but well, it, it they don't have, yeah, they don't have Levine and Levine's critical in the story of the kids. So if you remove Levine, I, I totally get that. And I, I think Levine would have been really cool, it but been. I don't think you could have, Levine is such a similar character to Malcolm. He's like Malcolm in the first book. Yeah. And I think probably Spielberg was like, I don't, I can't have these two 
they're like very subtly different. And I don't think that would portray on screen very well. Yeah. And it's interesting because Biosyn is really the bad guy in this one, which, which makes sense. Biosyn is not the bad guy in the film. It is a new version of InGen. It is, uh, it is, I, I forgot his name, but um, he's the nephew. Um, and it's interesting because in the new film that's coming out in 2022, Biosyn is going to be a big part of it. So I'm oh, they are Biosyn's making a yep, and Dodson's going to be in like it. it. So I'm I'm predicting, I'm predicting that they are going to be taking some things from the Lost World novel and applying that to Dominion. So if you're fans of the franchise, I suggest rereading the Lost World before Dominion comes out because I think you're going to see some things kind of be transferred over. Well. Colin has already come out and stated that there will be aspects of, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, Camp Cretaceous in Dominion. There we go. And so make sure you also watch Camp Cretaceous. Yes, yes. And when you meet, when you say like, make sure you, you're saying that to yourself. Yeah. That's like on his homework list. <laughs> yeah. It's big. So big was reading homework. the books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anything else stand out to you that like from a sequence standpoint, because the, the film and the book, there's a lot of similar similarities because of the high hide and you know, they're on, on the Island, but we have a lot of differences. We don't get necessarily the team up aspect. Uh, we have our kind of bad guys and their whole goal is to get the eggs, uh, which is different because in, in the film, it is much more big action adventure. You have this huge corral of hunters trying to, to go get the dinosaurs. You have these, this big group of people kind of teaming up. You have Nick Van Owen, uh, doing stupid things like getting the baby T-Rex. Uh, the, the, the book feels a lot more intimate. It feels, it feels more like there's not that many. It's like people a, on, yeah. Not that many it's like a rescue. There. Yeah. It's like a rescue mission. It, much more intimate, less, more big scale, uh, which I yeah. really, really liked. Okay, I'm going to throw out a couple of really interesting ones. In JP2, they use something called a Lindstrad rifle. That's like the air rifle. Oh, they yeah. They talk yeah. about it in, in the movie. That That's also in the books, obviously. That's not a real company at all. It's like a made-up air rifle company. Oh, really? I would have yeah, never but like, caught that. The, the rifles like say Lindstrad on them. So, I don't know. That's, so it's a nod to the books that they intentionally yeah. did did that yeah i think that's i think that's amazing that's that's like a real uh minor detail but i love those minor details i think i think it's so i think it's so cool so instead um, of selling a branding deal to boeing or browning sorry boeing browning or, could be could be boeing though yeah, could, could be, be boeing, could be boeing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they he, they made up a, that's a awesome. rifle Doc Thorne, such a cool character. Very cool. I wish they would have done him. And for those that haven't read the books, Doc Thorne's like a um, applied uh, mechan or applied science, or no, I think he's a mechanical engineer in the applied science thing. And he gets fed up with academia and then just builds like really cool vehicles. And yeah, like he's closer to Eddie Carr in the film, but not really. Like that's the closest yeah. thing you could draw it from, but not really. Yeah, and I I think that's. I think that's like super interesting. Yeah. I think there's, there's so many elements that were taken into JP three from 
uh, lost world. And I think that's like, maybe not just like specific details, but the concept, it's like a rescue mission. JP three is like clearly a rescue mission. And so is the lost world. And I know the movie starts out that way, but it kind of like, it's, it's not really. And then it turns to, it's more of a corporate thing, corporate and talking about, yeah, there's like an act. Yeah. It's act. There's a, there's a clear antagonist. Um, Oh, we have to talk about Sarah Harding, like just murdering people real quick (laughs) in the book was it's Dodgson, right? Like Dodgson tries to kill Sarah Harding. He He, he pushes her off a boat, off the boat, which is a great, like, yeah, that was a, oh crap moment when i was reading that like he just like pushed her off the boat like it's just crazy yeah and then the scene where he she kills him they're running away from the t-rex she comes under a vehicle and then he tries to like also uh come out of the vehicle and she like kicks him in the face yeah out of the vehicle he gets snapped up which is like that's uh but that's like on par with her character like she's like a field biologist like you know off in africa studying hyenas which is another really interesting thing um she studies hyenas and i I don't know this is like Crichton did this but hyenas are like the most uh parallel animal to the t-rex so like t-rexes were scavengers much like hyenas were and so they don't talk about it in the book, but when you, um, when you like dig a little bit more, you, you guys know who Jack Horner is? No, Jane. I know who James he, Horner is the composer. Yeah. Jack Horner is, he's a, he's a paleontologist that, um, he's the guy that like, uh, found dinosaur eggs, uh, came up with, um, the whole theory about, um, them being good parents. He's the one that names the dinosaur. Min- but he's the guy that also came up with this theory that um, that T-Rexes weren't like apex predators. Yeah. But he's also the one that came up that uh, velociraptors were like pretty lethal uh, predators. So anyway, Jack Horner, he's like the source material for all these books. Like yeah. That, so anyway. that's cool. I, I think it's interesting. Uh, another thing that's in the book is they kind of dispel the whole T-Rex can't um, if you stay still, the T-Rex won't get you. Oh, that's a, that's a really good one. Yeah. Which is kind of a different, like, it's kind of a trope that they're, especially that our bad guy team, they're like, they're trying to steal a T-Rex egg. And then they, one of the characters sits still and they think that's gonna, that's gonna stop him and he gets eaten. The the kills yeah. are pretty brutal in Lost World, especially Dodgson. He gets, and he gets described in the book. He gets picked up and then goes back to the nest and is fed oh yeah he he's used as like a training aid yeah for the baby t-rex and the way that Crichton describes the kills he describes them first person which is very very intense so he describes yes. what yeah, it I like being basically eaten like dodgson waking up in the t-rex's mouth yeah it, it's it's intense it's very very intense it's very uh much more rated r than the the movies have have them. Yeah, you you can't you can't do that in movies. Uh, let's talk about the invisible dinosaur or the cloaking device dinosaur. The the my favorite dinosaur, car, car, yeah. Carnotaur, Carnotaurus. Carnotaurus. That is something that I did not expect in the novel, and I think it's really cool. The Carnotaurus has been featured in the films, but not 
as a like a hero we call it a hero dinosaur uh where it's like an actual character in the film i loved this whole cat and mouse idea that they're at the bunker and like they know this dinosaur is out there and it's it's about trying to to maneuver and get away from this dinosaur that has a cloaking ability. I just absolutely love that and would love to see yeah, that. Yeah, the chameleon thing. Does does that ever show up in the movies? Well, like it's a cloaking animal? It does not I don't think so, right, Mike? No, not really. The Carnotaurus shows up in in Jurassic World, I believe it is. It is there's a shot of it, but it well, it does not cloak. Something something that the something that does show up. Oh, you know what cloaks is the um, Indominus Rex. Indominus Rex. But it doesn't mm. cloak so much as it, um, because of its, uh, by because of the biology, and it it can change its thermal signature. So they were so the system in the movie in Jurassic World they were using was that they, you know, they <clears throat> could sense that it was in there by thermal imaging, and then there's like oh it, it escaped because we can't sense the thermal image but it was cloaking its thermal image oh that's not as cool chameleon they they kind of use it they use that trope but it's not as uh, it's not as tense building it's not a thriller element like it is in the in the book uh, which which i really really enjoyed um oh another another question i had for the the movie you know uh subject matter experts in the book, Dodgson uses like some sound thing to scare away the T Rexes. Is that ever show up in the movies? That is remember. not, and I would love to see that. I think that's a nice little device. It, that's... Actually, Luke, it does show up in the movies. It shows up in Jurassic Park three, um, but it's not. They they use that the um, cell phone. They use like yeah. a call. <laughs> no, they no they. Uh, uh, Dr. Grant uses the 3D printed. Yes. Well, um, yes, you're right. The 3D printed. So it's a different like device, a, but it's the, the same throat. kind of thing where yeah. they use, but that's they like use a sound. Yeah, Mike, that's he like uses that to communicate with them, <laughs> not to scare them. Dinner. They could dinner. call dinner. He calls dinner. Kids, dinner's ready. Oh, really, mom, we're about to kill these people. Uh, okay. Guess we got to go home. Brilliant, brilliant uh, calling by Dr. Grant. Yeah, yeah, that you knew that was coming as soon as they 3D printed that thing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's which, which ahead of its time, the 3D printing really, really ahead of its time. Yeah, I was, I was like very shocked. I mean, I'm all about 3D printing, and that, yeah, that's that was fantastic. Actually, three 3D printed a dinosaur for my small child. Oh, I think really? Technically, nice. Technically, uh, we wouldn't call that 3D printing. We would call that SLA back in the day. Um, 3D printing is a more modern technology. Um, yeah, okay. but uh, yeah, that, but that, like, that ends my overall uh, people. There's seven <laughs> different types of 3D printing. That ends SLR my segment. That we just lost all of our listeners. Of, well, we actually, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. we just dropped Mike off. Mike and I are going to, including dive, me. Mike and I are going to dive into. <laughs> We've also done deep dives on Excel sp- spreadsheets uh, as well on the on this show. So yeah. we have a lot of engin- I, we have a lot of engineers that have been on as guests and our listeners. So I guess we, we gotta, have a lot of engineers featured in the book. It's it, it. I guess it's yeah. true. I guess yeah. it's true. Very science heavy. Well, I, why wouldn't? Yeah. 
why wouldn't engineers like this? It's very interesting. That's true. I, maybe, I, maybe I'm the, I'm the odd man out. All the listeners are like, who's this joker? Yeah, get out of here. This artsy fartsy dude. Artsy fartsy guy. All right, guys. Uh, I want to make sure we, we cover everything, but I have a couple kind of closing questions. But do we want to say anything else more about uh, Lost World? It's such a good book. It's so different than the movie. Very different. Very different compared to... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's barely... Yeah. Um, I will say my favorite character in all, all the movies is not in the book. And that was a big surprise. Roland, Roland is not in the, that Roland is, Tembo is not in the books. Yeah. Uh, he is a standalone film created character. That is amazing. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, that, maybe that's just like a really good example of my love for both the books and movies. Cause I, I love that. I, I love how they're like, yeah, this is, because I don't know if he would have worked well. He would not have worked well in the book. No. And like even Muldoon is is more of that. That Hunter character is more hyped up in the movies and more prevalent in the movies than it is in yeah. the books. Um, it, it definitely. But again, it, it kind of fits more of that kind of cinematic type of storytelling. But I think that's. That's a good. That's a good point. Um, it would be. It's almost like if you if you had a Doc Thorn, you don't have a Doc Thorn in the movies. It would be nice to have a Doc Thorn. I think that's one that they're missing, besides kind of yeah. doing Sarah Harding justice. Um, I guess the closest thing you have to Sarah Harding is um, is uh, Owen Grady's character in Lost I World. Just say, yeah. Honestly, like he's yeah. he's the most badass I, adventure character. Yeah, I, I really don't think anyone in any of the movies uh, comes close to Sarah Harding. I think she's like in the movies. I don't think any of the hero characters come close to Sarah Harding. What they could do with her, because like Doctor Sadler's a little bit different. Like her her personality is totally different. She's just as cool and badass, but like in a different way. Like she's 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 a she's she's, she's not a, as she's badass. a she's a biologist. She's her herbologist. Yeah, she's a, you know. She, yeah. Well, I, I think she's a like a she studies plants. Yeah. She says like uh, uh, like ancient plants. Yeah, a little bit more. Before. Like Sarah Harding's like studying, uh, you know, like lions and. She's a paleobotanist. Yeah, paleobotanist. Yeah. So, Doctor, yeah. I feel like if if the Lost World, if they could have taken the Sarah Harding character from the Lost World book and put that in that movie, um, and not had Owen Grady. I and or made make Claire's character Owen like a man and and had that and had reverse roles kind of yeah. reverse the roles but change that that own Grady character from like a motorcycle navy guy that trains her afters. I I mean you could work but I I feel like if they could have kind of brought that in I would have it would be a totally like awesome movie it would have it would have changed my perspective on it. Yeah, she she's just too good of a character to like leave on the page. All right, gentlemen, last kind of questions as Mike is uh, yawning. Um, <laughs> Mike's gotten a lot of airtime. Yeah, I had an Xbox to go play. I know. He's like, yeah. oh, I got to play Xbox. I got to talk to these fools. It's hard, Mike. You also have two guys that have been quarantining for you know almost you know we almost a week for me and a full week for jay so we're 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 desperate for human connection so yeah i've been talking to my i've been talking to my three month year old about this so you guys are married jay you got a kid i mean figure it out guys (laughs) (laughs) just obsessing over jurassic park to close out i want to ask you guys uh 
what's kind of your favorite part of, of these books? Um, what, what like stands out to you as kind of like one of the main things that you take away and say why, why you love the books so much? I think what I really enjoy about the books, and I find this with other authors who are able to do this very well, is there is a really good mix of, um, in, in movies, we would call them cutscenes, right? There's, I, I think that the book does cutscenes um, pretty well, where um, it actually keeps you really engaged. When you're in the middle of this really long, dragging on chapter, uh, by the time you get to the end of it, you're like, okay, I want to put this down. But by but but the pacing that the that this book has, but you want to get to the next scene, and then you have it kind of broken up into parts with iterations and configurations. I think is what they're called. It's a it's, iterations. Yeah, it's a it's a visual experience in the way the book is written. I, I think that's a great point, Mike. It shows that he he did do screenplays as well, and it's this book is so perfectly ready to adapt. Didn't he to create ER too? Yes, he did. Yeah, it wrote ER. I mean, he yeah. he. This the book is so easy to read, and it goes back to our conversation of like, why aren't people reading this in high school? Because it reads like a film slash research paper. It's it's so unique in that way. Now, I say it's easy to translate to film from a story blocking standpoint and a pacing standpoint to actually do that and create dinosaurs. That's a whole nother story, and they were able to get someone to do that. Jay, what stands out to you about these books that you really love? What's kind of your big takeaway? Yeah, I mean, my favorite thing is Michael Crichton wrote them. Um, <laughs> no, just joking. Uh, but like, we've already touched on it. Uh, you really do feel like you learn something afterwards. And you're like, uh, I know about chaos theory. Not, not really, but like, you're like, oh, there's so many interesting theories that are being discussed at like pretty high level in which I would never be... I would never be involved in the conversations that Michael is involving you in. And I think that's really unique. And he does that with all his books. Um, and I think, I mean, Jurassic Park is, I mean, ask some really deep questions. Should we, be, how much should we be, be messing with nature? Like uh, it, I already talked about that quote, like how arrogant do we think we are? If we think we're going to save the world. Like, and it's just, I mean, there's so many deep themes about humans and interactions with nature. Um, I, I think it's just, it's like, oh, wow, that novel brought me there. And I think that's the magic of, of Michael Crichton. Mm. Yeah, this is one of the few novels that I've read that I've actually enjoyed. I'm not really a novel guy. I think um, I, I connect far more with nonfiction. Um, but uh, this is just... I don't know. I just, I, I just really think that I, like what you said, Jay, that this novel taught me something. Usually I feel like I learn more from um, more concrete explanations yeah. of, of, of ideas, but this novel did, or that did that. But so, so yeah, I like that. Yeah. It's uh, like, I think it, it would make someone like math and like be like, Oh, I should get into chaos theory. Like, they should assign this in school so people are like actually excited about math and science because math and science is like innately boring in school but is so cool in the real world. Yeah, and it's it's why probably a lot of people that read that book and again watched the movies got into dinosaurs. I mean, just the idea that what dinosaurs are in in, in nature and hum humanity's interaction with nature and animals like this is 
it's it's so cool. I'm gonna wrap this up with with kind of my takeaways, and I think you guys made amazing points, and I agree with them. I'll go back. Do to, we want? Do you, do you want us to ask you the question? Yes, go like, ahead. What do you What do you like so much about these books? You have an author that is at the peak of their game that is creating a book and, and novels that are asking these big questions, like you said, but also extremely entertaining and thrilling. Uh, that is fast paced and engaging, like a page turner, like a book you can read very quickly, but also get so much out of it. And you're thinking about things about the world, about our interaction with nature, about corporate greed, about human interaction, about being motivated in your career. Like what would you do to, to what would it take to get this amazing discovery uh, that Levine, that's kind of his question. Like he, he's so apathetic to human humanity that like, he doesn't really care that like people are in danger because he's seeking out this new discovery and he wants to observe these creatures. All these big qu- questions that are, are in a, in a book, in a novel that is extremely entertaining and exciting and thrilling and heart heartbreaking and heart wrenching the whole time. And I think it's really cool. You have these two novels that are so good and that have all these things. And then you take that compare it with a director that can actually adapt them is I think almost a once in a lifetime, once in a generational thing. You do not see this happen very often. So much of what is made in film, especially big budget movies, studio movies are added adaptations in some sort of novel or comic book. Rarely do they align with their values and what they're trying yeah. to, to showcase as messages. Jurassic Park, the lost world, I think are as one of the kind of the Mount Rushmore of, of adaptations and novels. And I think when we talk about Jurassic pod and the Jurassic park and going through all these films, I've been surprised again and again, how deep and, and wide and the questions that these films ask stand the test of time. And it comes from the books and that's why it's so important. And that's why I love them. Yeah. That was a good answer. I think. Isn't, yeah. isn't the, when can the, you start? <laughs> yeah. We'll hire you. Mike and I are on board. We'll talk about salary later. Okay. Thank you. Uh, go ahead, Jay. You're going to say something. Now, I, I this isn't really in the books, but I think the tagline for the movie is like "Nature will find a way." Is that life will find a way? Yes, life will find a way. Life finds a way. Yeah, life finds a way. Yeah, I don't think that's in the book, but like that's yeah, those themes are like that is truly the theme of the book, and that is truly the theme of the movie. They sync up. And that's pretty magical. Very, very rare. Well, Jay, thank you so much for being a guest uh, on the show. Uh, thanks for doing your homework, reading the book, having these insights. Uh, we really loved having you on, and thanks for listening. Do you I'm want? Sure. Do you have anything to promote? <laughs> uh, actually, I do. So, um, yeah, this is really interesting. So, you guys will find this fun. I'm I'm a hunter, um, and there's a hunting podcast called uh, the Meat Eater Podcast. And they do an episode in which they interview um, Jack Horner, which is like the basis for Alan Grant. The Alan Grant character is that. And they talk about all these like interesting hunting scenarios with dinosaurs. And they're like the podcast show host is like, all right, so if I'm how am I going to kill a T-Rex? Like if I'm back in the day. Uh, So for all the Jurassic heads that are always thinking about the hunting characters, they actually cover that and it's really interesting. They go, they go pretty deep into the anthology of um, 
the paleontology of uh, dinosaurs. So I'll plug that one. That's a that's a great plug. That's a great recommendation, and hopefully we'll see some similar some kind of hunting scene in the new mm. film. We're hoping that that will be a part of it. Um, not, not a plug of my own, but I actually, I want to plug, uh, 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 I want to tr- plug a Twitter feed that's in the Jurassic Park community. Can we do that here? Uh, it's our show, Mike. Yes, you can. <laughs> actually, so, no, uh, legal, legal. So there's, the we can't do it. there's a, there's a Twitter profile that I really like. It's, it's pretty popular, uh, in the 10, in, in the thousands of followers, um, and it's uh, called Jurassic Park <laughs> Updates. Yes. And um, it's it's at Jurassic Park 2, the number two go. And they have just hilarious tweets. I just want to read this tweet from uh, last month. Because, um, wait, wait, just, wait, so to give context, they're tweeting like they are. Like they run the park. They run the park. Yeah. So oh, this context. is like the park. Yeah. It's a fake account. Yeah. It's like a it's account. Yeah. And it's like the people who run this. So it's like you're following the, it's like following Disney, like Disney parks on Twitter, but it's Jurassic Park and it's just comedy. All right. Let's hear so some. They, they tweeted last month. We hear your feedback. Starting today, we will be giving all of the dinosaurs longer, fluffier eyelashes so that they look better in photos. <laughs> Oh, that is oh, we hear you. <laughs> you know, Mike, I, uh, I I've actually so that was that was actually I just want to say that was actually in um, response to something that Disney had posted uh, around the same time where they basically said Disney said we hear you. You want your trips to be more um, like easy to plan, and then they released like their new Genie Plus system or whatever. So that's why that was funny at the time as well. Thanks again, Jay, for being on the show. Mike and I will be back for our season finale. We're going to try to fit it in right before the end of the new year. Again, this is all depending on if a trailer drops during the holiday season. So that is a a caveat. Again, check out our website, our social media, all that fun stuff. Thanks for listening, friends. Uh, We will talk to you very soon.